Today, I'm just uh, so grateful and thankful to have you here uh, worshiping with us at Bethel today and also our online church family. We're so grateful and thankful for you joining us week by week uh, as we worship the Lord together. And so uh, both our church family here gathered and those that are gathering at home online uh, around computer screens or televisions, we are so glad and welcome you today. We are in the book of Philippians, as we have been for the past several weeks, and so I encourage you to open your Bible and find the book of Philippians. Today is the last in the series of messages from this wonderful book by the Apostle Paul. It's a favorite uh, for so many because it's so warm and tender and encouraging and uh, uh, laced with joy, and uh, it's a very uplifting book. Paul writes, uh, and you'll uh, know this uh, from our study, he is writing to the church in Macedonia in the city of Philippi. That's how we get Philippians gets its name. And this is where a church was planted by the Apostle Paul and uh, Silas, Acts 16. You can read about the establishment of that church and what happened there. There was a loving relationship between Paul and this church during all of his ministry. It was a church that Paul had invested in. God had used him to help the plant. The church had supported Paul. When they went off to other places, they sent gifts more than once, even over to Thessalonica. What's prompting this letter from Paul is that he's received, even now, far, far away in Rome, in a prison, he has received a gift from the church from Macedonia, from Philippi, and they have blessed him. It's sent by one of their own church members as an emissary. His name is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus got sick on the journey and while he was there. And Paul's writing them back. Epaphroditus is now recovered, and he's thanking them so much for their great love and gift they've made to him. He uses this letter as a word of encouragement to them. Now, there's such a loving relationship. You see it throughout, laced throughout all of the pages, of the verses of, of this letter. If you'll notice with me in chapter 1, verse number 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. I'm always thinking of you, and I'm always lifting you before the Lord in prayer. Listen to the affection that Paul feels for them. Verse 7, For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are partakers of grace with me. Verse 8, For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says, I miss you. I love you. I can't wait to see you. You mean the world to me. I think of you often. I pray for you. And he says, you are my family. You, but more than that, you've been a partner with me. We've been in fellowship together. He uses that word fellowship or partnership or uh, uh, a communion or a sharing uh, a couple of different times in this passage of Scripture. Now, that word fellowship has sort of been watered down in American uh, evangelical life. And we use the word fellowship kind of loosely and less than how Paul would have used it. 
So we have, uh, for instance, somebody says, I just love the fellowship of the church. Well, what are they talking about? The sweetness of how people get along. Or somebody will talk about, why don't you come on over to our house and we'll have fellowship together. Or we're having a Sunday school fellowship. That's code in, code in evangelical life for food, right? We're going to have some food, all right? As a matter of fact, we build a whole wing onto our buildings and we call it the fellowship hall. And that's where we cook meals and serve meals. And the fellowship isn't about food. And it's not about eating together. When Paul uses it, it's the idea of sharing together, communion together, partnership together. And that partnership is, first of all, in the grace of God. You've experienced God's grace with me. In verse number seven, the end of the verse, you are all partakers of grace with me, in fellowship with grace with me. But not only that, you're in fellowship with the gospel with me. He says you're in fellowship to the mission of God. And let me tell you about a church fellowship. This is when a church is having fellowship, is when they're celebrating the goodness of God, the grace of God, the salvation of God, and they're on mission doing the work of God together. That's when there's church fellowship. And so that's what Paul is so grateful and thankful for. Now he's encouraging them. And this is a letter, I think, above the major theme of this letter is encouragement. And he's encouraging them in what? Toward maturity in their faith. Toward becoming strong and stable and mature in their walk with God. He does not call them immature. But he keeps pressing them to keep striving toward greater maturity in Jesus Christ. Folks, none of us fully arrive, but we're on the journey. And let's don't get sidetracked. Let's grow and develop and become more and more mature in our faith in Christ. Now, the first word in review of what we've looked at over the several weeks is that it's a letter of encouragement in your faith. Chapter number one, verse number six, for I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Gee, God began the work in you, and he will complete it. He will perfect it, and he will carry it out until the day of Christ Jesus. Does anybody here ever start a project and not finish it? Well, I think it happens to a lot of us, right? We, get, we start a project, we're in full intention to finish it, but then you get distracted or you get discouraged, or you don't have the right equipment, or you don't have the money, and then it gets set to a side and then you don't end up doing it. And so he says, that's not the way God's working in you. God started a work in you and he's finishing that work in you. Praise God, God's not done with you yet. And he's still working on you. So don't be discouraged. Maybe you're going through hard, anybody going through some difficult circumstances in your life? Don't be discouraged in those circumstances because God is still at work in those. Paul reminds them, he says in verse number 12, I want you to know, brethren, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment, Paul says, I've been thrown in prison in Rome. I'm held captive here. He says, prison is not my idea of a fun trip. But, he says, but I was here because of the cause of Christ. And it's become, the gospel has become the cause of Christ well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. He, at the end of this book, he says, 
Those of Caesar's household bring you greetings. Paul says, I've been put in prison, but because of it, God's helped me lead, lead guards to Jesus Christ, to lead members of Caesar's household to Jesus Christ. My fellow pastors and preachers have been preaching the gospel more boldly because we're in prison and the gospel is spreading. God is good and sovereign and wise and carrying out his mission and he is at work in this world. Don't, don't be discouraged in your difficult circumstances. Don't be discouraged when you suffer. He said, I know about suffering. I've experienced suffering and you will suffer. But God is still with us even in the midst of our suffering. Verse number 29, for to you it's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. You saw it when I was with you. And now you hear that I'm going through it now. And you are not immune to this. You will suffer suffering too. But listen. God's with you in the suffering. Isn't that good news? The one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. For God is at work in you, chapter 2, verse 13, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is working in you. God is finishing the work. God's energy is working in you. We're striving according to his power that mightily works in me, in us, Paul said in Colossians 1.29. His life is in us. Christ's life, Christ's Holy, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, the Holy Spirit. And we are encouraged because God is at work in us. Amen. But you know what? That's not the end of the story. We are also encouraged in our faith. Why? Because this is not our final destination. Anybody here glad that this is not as good as it gets? You know what? This is not our final destination. Listen to what he says. Chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to what he will do. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. My friends, this world's not your home. Here we have conflict. Here we have sorrows. Here we have persecution. Here we have unrest. Here we have brokenness. Here we have racism. Here we have sin. Here we have distrust. Here we have lawlessness. Here we have economic situations that are uncertain. Here we have wars and rumors of wars and conflict and sin and sin and sickness and suffering affects all of us. But I'm telling you, there's a final destination, a citizenship in heaven, and this is not the final destination. In heaven, there'll be no more sickness. In heaven, no sin. In heaven, no grief. In heaven, no death. In heaven, praise God, all those things, our former things, have been wiped away. There's no funerals in heaven. There are no pandemics in heaven. No divorce in heaven. No lawsuits in heaven. All Things will be made new. Amen. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. And there'll be no more death and no more suffering. For those former things have passed away. They are dead and gone. 
That's what we have to look forward to. And he is coming again. And this is what Paul says. Uh, this is what uh, the scripture says. When, he, when we see him, John says, when we see him, we shall be like him. Because we will see him face to face. Listen, we will behold him, seeing him face to face, transformed into his glory. And Paul says this humble state, we will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Woo! That's good news. Encourages my faith. Secondly, be united in your fellowship. Now, he's saying, I, I know one of the things that's most dangerous for any and every church, even you Philippians that I love so much, is that you get divided with each other. And division brings destruction, always. Philippians 1.27, he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you're what? Standing firm, how? In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, live your lives as citizens of heaven and live those lives worthy of the gospel. Now listen to what he says. Stand firm. Plant your feet on solid ground. And the ground that you plant your feet on is Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation other than that which has been laid. And that is Jesus Christ. Plant your feet on Christ. Plant your feet on the solid rock of the Word of God that does not falter or fail. Listen, the mores of this culture are always changing, always turning, the wind blowing one way or another. Do not put your feet on that because that's sifting sand. But you put your feet on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. Stand firm, stand strong. Stand together, be loyal to each other, fight for each other, support each other, be committed to each other, be loyal, and then stand courageously. When you suffer persecution or difficulty, you stand strong. When you've done everything to stand, then stand. Take that stand and don't back down. Now, folks, I want to take a moment and say something important. Listen, your membership in a local church is important. Listen, you need to be a part of a church family because this is a church family that believes in something, that values something. You need to be a part of a community of believers that says this is what we value. This is what we believe. This is how we behave. This is a, uh, this is a community where we pray for each other, love for each other, encourage each other. We're committed to the same purpose and the same mission. Because we are described in God's word as a family. We are described as God's word as a body with Jesus Christ being the head. We are described in God's word as a temple being built up as living stones into a temple. We are the people of God. And you need and we need each other. And there's no strength when you do church jumping and church hopping and, and, and just feed this consumer mentality in your life. No. God saved you for a purpose. And then fight for the relationships in that community of faith. Sometimes we don't always get along. Sometimes, I mean, 
we have some difficulty or disagreement or strife, but we work through that. We fight for that relationship. And that's what Paul reminds them in chapter 2, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, this make my joy complete. This is how you make the pastor's joy complete. This, he says, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Be one. Be one together of the same mind and thought and purpose and mission. Now listen, a good sports team doesn't do well if there's individuals on that team that think that they're greater than the team itself. That they are prima donnas. They are, you know, they're the star of the show. And it's all about them. It's not about the team. Well, that, that brings detriment to the life of the team. They may get accolades, but... But it doesn't help the team to be successful. In the army, it's not about any particular one soldier's idea. Instead, it's about the mission. And there is a chain of command. And you follow that chain of command because it's not about you. It's about the mission. And you learn that early. In a band, it doesn't work very well. In an orchestra or a band, if you decide that you're going to play your own piece of music, you don't care what everybody else is playing. You're under one director, you're committed to one piece, and you play your part as a part of that piece. You are a part of what God is doing. Here's the wrong attitude that I see, especially in our society. Well, you know what? I'm my own man. I do what, I'm my own woman. I do whatever I want to do. I've never been just a follower. I'm a maverick. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm my own man. No, you're not your own man. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You didn't cause yourself to be created. God made you. God created you. You can't live. You have no life without him. And you didn't cause yourself to be born again. He did that in you. And he lives in you. And he's got a plan and purpose for your life. And you need to get your life under alignment of the head, which is Jesus Christ. And walk with him and serve him. Love him. Amen? That's what God's called you to. Be of the same life, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Amen. The highway of too many people's lives are littered with throwaway relationships. He says, fight for the relationship. In chapter number 4, verse 2, there's two gals that served with Paul that he knew. They were faithful in serving with him, Yoda and Syntyche. And these two gals were not getting along. And Paul writes in the letter, he said, I, want, I urge you two women to start getting along. And he says, you partnered with me. You labored with me in the gospel. And then he says, true yoke fellow, the leader in the church. He says, help these two women to work it out and, be res and, and resolve this conflict and be united together. Folks, don't dispose your relationships. Listen closely to me. Listen close. Satan will put it into your heart and sin and selfishness to throw your relationships away. Don't throw them away. Don't throw your relationship away with your family. Don't dispose the relationship in your marriage. Do not dispose it. Do not throw it away. Do not devalue it. It's precious. You love your mate. You pray for your mate. You be faithful and loyal and true. 
Don't throw your relationship away with your children. I see parents burning relationships with children or their children-in-laws. Well, I've just cut them out of the well. They're not part of my life anymore. Don't burn your relationships. Don't throw them away. They're valuable. People, I'm not talking to my parents. I'm not, not going to talk to my mom. I'm not going to talk to my mother-in-law. If you forever, you know, I'll never talk to them again. Burning relationships. And people burn church relationships. Fight for the relationship. If you want to live like Christ, did Christ fight for a relationship with you? Fight for the relationship. Amen? Don't burn it. Point number three. Be humble in your relationships. Walk humbly before the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do not, nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ. He says, live humbly. The Bible says God is opposed. Now listen, listen close. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. Listen, you don't have to live your life defending yourself, fighting for yourself. Don't do that. Listen, you walk humbly. By walking humbly, that means you walk confidently because your confidence is in God. You walk courageously because your faith is in God. You walk boldly because you know your mission is from God. But you walk humbly before the Lord. There's no place for arrogance and pride because our strength comes from the Lord. I don't have to fight and pick a fight with everybody that might disagree with me. I'm telling you, run to Twitter, run to Facebook and air all that junk out. That is stupid. Stop doing that. Walk humbly before God. God's got your backside. He'll take care of you. You trust him. You love big, love loud, live right, and watch how God will take care of you. Amen? That's a good word for us to hear today. God is with you. God cares for you. I want you to say, he says, emulate our example. The greatest, most humble, the strongest man who ever walked the face of this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ. And although he existed in the form of God, did not regard God, equality with God, a thing to be grasped, clutched, or held on to, Philippians 2. But he humbled himself, and he took upon flesh, and he became like a servant. That's what Jesus did for us. He took on flesh and blood. He served us. He walked with us. He taught us. He came to the outcast, born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, a backwater little town in Galilee that nobody really thought anything of. He was conspired against by the religious leaders. He identified with the lowly. He identified with tax gatherers and sinners and Samaritans and lepers and poor Galilean fishermen and farmers and merchants. He came for the lost house of Israel. And ultimately, he showed his humility 
not only in showing us God and loving us well and loving others and teaching, but he went to Jerusalem, set his face like flint to carry out the mission of God, and he laid down his life and died on Calvary's cross for your sins and my sins. He bore the full penalty of the sin that I deserve, and he died my death and your death on Calvary's cross, and he bore the full punishment, satisfied a holy God, and died in my place and your place. No greater love has any man shown than this. And he humbled himself under the mighty God, hand of God. But let me tell you what, what, whatever humbles themselves under God, God will raise them up. And God raised him up and gave him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus showed us how to live. And so if Christ lived that way for us, so we ought to live not filled with self, not living for self, but living for the glory of God. Amen. Number four, be maturing in your walk. Don't stop growing. Don't stop maturing. Don't stop advancing in what God has called you to. And this I pray, chapter no, number one, verse nine. This was Paul's prayer for them. That your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. That you approve the things that are excellent. You have a discernment, wisdom in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He writes in chapter 3, verse 14, I, Paul, press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm running a race and I'm pressing in. I'm leaning forward. I want to be everything that God wants me to be. Now, and then he says, that's what I'm doing, but listen, let us, that's what I want you to do. Let us, therefore, as many as are mature, perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let's keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Be maturing in your faith, growing in your faith. When you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, and listen, this is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, being changed by Jesus, listen, and on mission with Jesus. And when you're boldly following Christ, that means I'm going to I am going to obey God. I want to obey him. Don't tell me that you're following Jesus if you won't obey him. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? So real disciples want to obey Jesus Christ, and they're committed to obey him. Secondly, real followers of Jesus Christ love God and love others. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, all our mind, all of our strength. And the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. On these are all the law and the prophets. This is a summation of all of the scripture. Jesus said, love God, love people. Don't tell me that you love God if you don't love people. So love God and love people. And you know what? That's what a disciple of Jesus does. The disciple of Jesus is obeying Jesus, walking with Jesus, loving God and loving people. And giving of himself sacrificially 
Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross and follow me, his own cross and follow me, his own place of sacrificial ministry. Find your place of service and ministry. God didn't call you to be a spectator. He called you to be a participant and a servant and to use your gifts for the glory of God. Amen. And then be involved in the mission of persuading others to turn from sin and trust in Christ. This is what disciples do. This is what we do. But here's the problem. We've got to press in, lean into maturity. Don't regress. Now, what is regression? Regression is when I go back to the former state I once was in. You were in this state and now you've moved back to this state. And I've had this and I want you to listen close. Please listen to me. This is the sad, don't just distract it, listen close. It is so sad to me to watch people who formerly have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, been baptized, were in a community group, and then they go back to living like they used to live. They go back to living in sin, go back to living for self, go back to living for sensuality, go back to the world and act with the world, talk with the world, and live like the world. Then they have done what was warned about in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, where the scripture tells us they, uh, they, they are living the proverb, a dog has returned to his vomit, and a pig, after being washed, is now wallowing again in the mire. And when you go back and regress and start living like that, there is absolutely no, you have absolutely no confidence about your salvation because you're living in disobedience. And who knows whether it was true or not what you did. The second thing is digression. And that's when you, you get your eyes off focus and you focus on something else and you, that becomes spiritual ADD. That's not what God's called us to. He says, press in, lean forward, move toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the analogy, the word that's used here by Paul is that of a runner running a race and he wants to finish the tape and get across the finish line. When I was in high school, I had to, I had to uh, participate with the track team in order to play football. And that's just the way our, our coach said that. And he said, I want all you guys to go out and practice with the track team and run track. And even if you don't run in the meets, you got to practice with the track team. And so uh, I uh, was involved in track in high school. And so uh, I wasn't much of a runner, but I, I was okay. I could run shorter distances better than longer distances, and I practiced the quarter mile. I got my quarter mile time down pretty good and uh, competitive. And so uh, I remember our coach, I was uh, my last year in high school, he said, uh, Tim, he said, uh, the county um, regional races are this week, and, and our miler uh, is hurt, and I want you to run the mile. And I thought, well, Okay, I'll try to run the mile. It's just four of those quarters that I've been running. And so uh, I, I tried to practice for it. I tried to prepare for it. And when the race took place, I took off. And uh, 
when I, the first quarter mile, I was out in front. And I thought, man, this is good. And then the next quarter mile, I was still out in front. And I thought, okay. And then about uh, the second turn of the third quarter, my tongue was on the asphalt. And uh, I found myself about halfway back. And uh, I was running out of speed. And when I got to the last quarter, I just absolutely had nothing left. My legs were like jello. And I finished back of the pack, finished last, dead last. The person that started fast ended last. That's because the race I was called to run was not the quarter mile. It was a mile. And it's a big difference. And the race that God's called you to run is not a sprint. It's a lifelong journey following Jesus. Lean in and follow him all the way. Paul says, I'm not giving in. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior alone. Cast off anyone that tries to bring into teaching that you are saved by your works. You are not. You cannot be made righteous by keeping the law. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and I may be found in him, listen close, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that that comes through how? Faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You cannot save yourself. Your standing is not secure by yourself. And your righteousness is found in Jesus Christ alone. So don't act like the gospel is works-based. It's not. The gospel is all about God's grace in your life. You are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. You're saved by his grace, through faith in Jesus, and for his glory. The reformers talked about sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christos, sola dea gloria. What does that mean? It's by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. That's our salvation. Number six. Be confident in your faith. Be confident. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Be confident. Bring your requests to God. Secondly, Paul reminds them, he says, I've struggled and suffered many things, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ strengthens me. Christ is in me. Christ's spirit works in you. Christ is sustaining you. Christ is perfecting you. And God is supplying all of your needs. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Hey, church at Philippi, listen to me. When you give, when you love, when you sacrifice, when you trust God, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know who meets your needs? It's God himself. He'll take care of you. Now today, the question for you to consider is this. Listen close. 
What is it that I need? In a room like this, there's a lot of needs. What, what, what do I need in my life? And maybe there's somebody here in this room today and you say, Pastor Tim, I need forgiveness in my life. My sin is ever before me. My sin is so destructive. And I'm so ashamed of the sin and guilt in my life. And I've come to God before and said, God, help me. And I have, here I am again. I'm embarrassed to say about my sin. Listen to me. Your righteous standing with God is not based on you, but on him. If you are, have sinned, then God tells you what to do. Listen close. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. You can't cleanse your own sin. Christ's blood will cleanse you and make you whiter than snow. Amen. Some of you are struggling with forgiving other people. And listen. Jesus said, pray like this. Forgive us our sins, Father, as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God gives you the strength to forgive. As you receive his forgiveness, he gives you the ability to forgive others. Be kind, tender-hearted toward one another. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ hath forgiven you. You let it go, go, and you leave the judgment to God. He'll take care of that. Fellowship with God. There's somebody saying, I feel so far from God, Pastor. Listen, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And listen to what Jesus says. And we, we, the Father, the, the Lord, and the God the Father, and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we will come to him. And we, listen, will make our abode. We'll dwell with him. Did you know the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God, dwells in you? Can somebody say praise God? Yeah. You're not alone. He's with you. Amen. You feel burdened down? Weight of the world? Overwhelmed? Don't know where to go? Run to Jesus. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and labor laden, and I'll give you rest. Amen. You tempted? You just, these temptations come into your life and you, you don't, you feel like a failure? Listen, no temptations overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Whatever you're tempted in, other people have been tempted. But God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, listen to what he says, provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When you're tempted, you just look, God will provide a way of escape. And you run to that escape door. 
You're not tempted beyond your strength. God is with you. Amen. Oh, maybe your heart's weighed down in your mind and your heart with anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. <laughs> That's awesome. He's with you. I could go on and on and on with the promises of God of supply. He supplies your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul could say, Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. No matter what you're going through, I'm in prison. Rejoice in the Lord. You can rejoice if you're in the Lord. Because in the Lord, you have all these promises. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Are you in the Lord? Are you? That's where the life's found. In the Lord. Are you in him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that today we would put our faith and trust in the Lord. He is our strength. You are our strength. Father, if there's one here that's drifted away, I pray they would come back and trust you. If there's somebody here that's been discouraged today, I pray that they might find new courage in Jesus. And Father, if there's somebody here that's never been born again, never received Christ as their Savior, I pray they would pray a prayer something like this. Dear God, I know that I've sinned and gone the wrong way in my life and disobeyed you. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. And I believe that he died on the cross for all of my sins. And I believe that he rose again from the grave. And I want you to be the Lord and master and king of my life. I repent of my sin. And I turn to you and ask you, Christ, to be my Lord, my master. Thank you, God, for loving me. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.